It is Monday, March the 1st, 2021. Kay Trevor Wilson is going to join us on the show today to talk about comedy and day jobs and pro wrestling and a whole bunch of stuff. Because you're listening to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Hey kids, welcome to the show. My name is Kingdom, Anthony Kingdom James. And another week begins. Uh, yeah, K. Trevor Wilson today. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. Um, good dude. <laughs> just a good dude. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you hearing that. Last night were the Golden Globe Awards. Um, let's take a look. Did anything of any interest happen? Um... Eh, Sasha Baron Cohen won for uh, Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. And Borat's subsequent, mu- uh, subsequent movie film won Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Chloe Zhao uh, won Best Director for No Man- Nomad Land, which also won Best Motion Picture Drama. I guess she's the um, only the second woman to win the Golden Globe for Best Director. Um, Chadwick Boseman won for, uh, best actor in a drama, uh, his, for, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, his wife accepted in a very emotional speech. Um, uh, did anything else of interest? The Queen's Gambit. I haven't watched that. Gillian Anderson for The Crown. I haven't watched that. Ugh, just got no interest, man. <laughs> Bunch of stuff I, bunch of stuff I, I tried to ignore when it was on the news. Um, Shit's Creek won for best television series, comedy or musical. Yay, CBC! And um, Soul won for best original score. Hey, that's cool. Anything else? Eh, Mark Ruffalo won best performance in a actor in a limited series or motion picture. Eh. Um, Catherine O'Hara for Schitt's Creek, John Boyega for Small Axe, I don't know that, is that it? Daniel Kaluuya for uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture, for In Any Motion Picture, okay, interestingly named category, throwaway, uh, for uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, I guess that's it, meh, meh, whatever. I didn't watch it. What I, I want to watch a bunch of people do Zoom calls for stuff that I didn't watch to begin with. Uh, <laughs> cynical. Um, speaking of cynical, oh my god, it took me like six tries to do the opening for this show, and I finally just, I just settled on um, basics, basics with a smile. Uh, as a matter of fact, here, listen to. One of the versions that I'm not going to use. It is Monday, the 1st of March, 2021. I have not written a joke for this opening. I have tried this five times. This is the opening you're getting. Shut the fuck up about it. And you're listening to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Classy, huh? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what happens when I don't, when I don't have an obvious joke to make in the middle of the intro 
Um, do I have anything to tell you? Yes, I'm, um, I am recording a voiceover for myself today for, um, a children's book. Um, it's not my book. Well, it is my book, but it's not a book I wrote. Uh, (laughs) when I was five or six, my dad gave me a book called down by jim long stage and it's a it's it's a book of rhymes about fish about different fish it's written by a uh a, a newfoundlander named al Pittman, who um um he wrote some children's books of, you know little rhymes that you know had he had illustrated and and uh um some rather serious novels that have won awards and um Somebody put it in my head, a friend of mine put it in my head that I should uh, <laughs> I should do a voiceover for a children's book. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. So I, um, I, I took photos of all the pages because I have my original copy. I have the copy. I'm holding it. I have the copy of the book that my dad gave me in 1976 or 1977. 45 years ago and I this might be the this might be the oldest of my personal possessions I mean I've got a few things you know I got a I got a I got a quilt uh and a blanket that my mom had that I remember being in the house as kids there's probably even a photo or two that that you can see it in but this is my oldest personal possession so uh i'm very i'm very enamored of this book anyways i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna put that online for my um for my patreon people later today and uh then in a few days i'm gonna uh i'll probably turn it uh make it available via youtube and if people like it, that's cool. I'll read other books. I I do want to... I, I keep saying this. I have to get my hands on some more uh, um, choose-your-own-adventure books. Because we did that one time last year, and it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. The book was so fucking cheesy. Uh, a teenage kid getting recruited by the CIA to infiltrate North Korea. I mean, what the... Hey, you're a white kid who knows karate. Let's send you to North Korea where you could die. <laughs> it's so stupid. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to get some more. And if I can get some more written by that guy, because uh, it seems like it was a whole story that followed that one character. Uh, this This one was at least the second book. Involving this character, and it left uh, it left you with a cliffhanger. So there has to be more shenanigans for that kid. He's got to get home. I mean, we finished the book, and he was in the mountains of North Korea, joining a guerrilla platoon. <sighs> Anyways, uh, okay, <laughs> enough nonsense. Let's get to today's interview. Here's the record scratch, and afterwards, K. Trevor Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, he is a comedian, an actor, and a rabid professional wrestling fan, which is what I admire the most. 
perhaps best known for the role of Squirrely Dan on Letterkenny. Welcome to the Handsome Genius Club, Mr. K. Trevor Wilson. Hey, Trev. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for. I can't get. I can't get you to a fucking show because of your goddamn filming schedule. The (laughs) least I can do. Least I can do is con you into coming on the podcast. I know. I know. The sad thing is, I finally get some free time, and the uh, entire world shuts down. Yeah, (laughs) I've said that a couple of times. All the time in the. it, It is. It is the Burgess Meredith. Uh, Twilight Zone episode of Existences all the time to read, and I've stepped on my glasses. Yeah. So, uh, okay. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Good hit... reference. Deep cut. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm aging, my friend. I'm aging, and these are these, all my cuts are deep now. My I, <laughs> I spoke to my brother. My brother's a. He's been on the show a few times. My brother's a sportscaster. He's working for uh, CBC right now, but he's... Oh, right on. Uh, yeah, he's done a bunch of uh, uh, years as an NHL broadcaster, Colorado and, and the New York Islanders. Um, we always pick up the phone with each other by saying something completely ludicrous. And today, he called me Topo Gigio. And I said, you are aging yourself badly with uh, with Ed Sullivan references, my friend. <laughs> You want people to think you're still young? Maybe update. He said, uh, what about this Urkel? Is Urkel a new reference? <laughs> Fucking guy. Uh, newer than Topo Gijo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by, by comparison, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah uh, he's, he's modern with a Screech reference, but is it too soon? <laughs> <laughs> So let me let me let me ask you let me ask you the deep philosophical question right off the bat because you're you're uh, you're a very well known stand up comedian very accomplished stand up comedian and a goddamn funny stand up comic oh, thank uh, you. but um and and you're not afraid you're not afraid to discuss a bodily function or two or to throw in an f word where needed or not. Is there a limit to comedy? Is there is there a too far to comedy? Um, I mean, yes and no. I I think, uh, you know, as a comedian, I, I think the thing that makes comedians comedians is the ability to see the joke everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that's that's you know what sets comedians apart is that they can look at any situation and find what's ridiculous about it so i i truly believe you know there's humor in in everything you know i it's like you, you when you go to a funeral and at the wake everyone's standing around telling stories laughing yeah you know you're surrounded by sadness and yet people always find the humor and sadness and i think that there's humor in in everything and and if done intelligently and done well you can take uh uh any topic uh no matter how dark and make it funny uh but that being said um there's also uh tact and timing and uh jokes can be done at an inappropriate time uh and you 
I, one of the things I was actually talking about this with uh, some other comedians a little while ago is um, like with, with the internet, everyone is in the rush to be the first yeah. to make the joke. And we've lost our tact, our sense of, of tact with humor, you know, uh, in before Twitter and, and Facebook, uh, whenever a tragedy would happen, uh, you know, I'd, rush over to the club and hang out with the other comedians and we'd sit around in private and tell each other all the jokes about the horrible thing that had just happened because that's our coping mechanism that's how we deal is, uh, with things that scare us as we make fun of it but we all knew this isn't going on stage right now like mm -hmm. this is you know you got to give it a uh, time for the you know the wound to heal before you can start making jokes about it it's so, like i remember 9 11 I was supposed to do a show that night and I was, uh, I showed up cause I was booked and, and only the comics showed up, no crowd. Obviously <laughs> it was a huge giant tragedy. Everyone else was mourning. We showed up and, and all the comics sat around and, and just, we just drank at the bar and all riffed on jokes about nine 11. And then, uh, I, I think I stood up and said, I can't wait for a year from now when we can actually do these bits on stage. Cause, <laughs> cause we all knew like, this is funny, but it not it's not going to be funny to everyone right now. Yeah, and uh, so like I think yeah, you can you can make a joke about uh, a terrible thing, but you got to give it time to be less terrible. And and I, I look out and I see like you know as soon as someone dies, there's like eighteen hundred jokes, and I'm like, ah oh, man, like there's people in mourning right now. Like yeah. I remember when when Paul Walker passed away. Um, you know, and, and, and half my, my, you know, Twitter and Facebook is all standups and they were all making, you know, like really poor taste jokes about what had just happened. And on the flip side, I've got a bunch of actor friends and, and other comedian friends who knew him, who worked with him, mm. like who, you know, who considered him a friend who are like ignoring their have to stay off social media because everyone else is being a dink about their friend that passed away. So uh, then my follow up is if, okay. I agree with you. Anything can be funny. So my, the first question is so that I can get to this one is, is there a difference between funny and professionally funny? Are there things that shouldn't, shouldn't be part of a standups repertoire? Are there things that, that standup should avoid? Uh, you know, I, for me, I like to, I like to entertain the crowd, you know, mm -hmm. like for, for me, my stand up, I want, I want to get as many people laughing as I can. So I'm not trying to force my audience to, to like, I, I'm not trying to challenge my audience too much. I'm just trying to have fun with my audience, but other comics, you know, I, uh, that's their thing is they're going to push the envelope and they're going to, they're going to challenge people. Um, so I don't want to say, you know, to the comics that do that successfully, that what they're doing is, is wrong. It's just personally not how, how I do it, but there are comics who, you know, force their audience to be a bit uncomfortable and put them in that situation and are able to do it expertly and, and, you know, break through the discomfort to the comedy. And there's other comics who try to do that and fail horribly. <laughs> yeah. 
and end up alienating themselves from their audience. And, you know, it, it depends on what you want your show to be and, and how you want to be as a comedian. And also it's the responsibility of the audience member. If you're going to go to a show, take a look at the comic before you go. And if it's not your cup of tea, don't go. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I, for me, it's Doug Stanhope that keeps bringing this up. The difference between um, uh, comedy and anything else where people say, hey, let's go to the let's go to a comedy show and they don't even look at who's on the marquee. They have no idea what they're what they're 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 in for. You would never do that with, uh, you know, like a, a marquee outside of a, a club that said music. You know, yeah. you would you would ask who's the band? What do they play? And uh, and that happens less with comedy. So, you know, you get the walkouts. <laughs> Comedy is the only job, like entertainment job I've seen where people show up and then get mad that this rain, that, that like the uh, performer didn't gear the show perfectly to them yeah. and their, and their tastes. It's like, well, you could have just Googled him and seen, <laughs> seen his act. And I, I, I remember the, the first time I saw Stanhope, uh, it was actually at um, the Yuck Yucks, the old Yuck Yucks, which is now absolute at Young and Eglinton. Yeah. And uh, he had a whole joke about how people didn't even know who he was. They just came to see the comedian at the show. Yeah. <laughs> he had said he had a bit about how he had to stop watching uh, rock and roll documentaries because it gets into his head that he's a rock star and he want he has visions of walking out on stage and people chanting his name. And then he holds the mic out to the audience and goes, what's my name? Yeah. You don't even know. <laughs> I've seen that bit. As a matter of fact, I used to I used to work at the young uh, the young and Eglinton Yucks. I was, oh no way! I was a small a, world. I was a doorman there. Well, I I tried my hand at stand up, uh, miserably in the uh, <laughs> through the nineties. I think the first time I went on stage was the uh, the Bay and Bloor Yucks in like eighty nine, and the people I was coming up with were. Uh, John Paul and Ron Jossel and uh, Russell Peters and oh yeah and it becomes easy to figure out why I quit you know <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's like here's a here's here's uh, here's Steve uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart and The Rock and Tom Rocky Stone which of these which of these is of the guys. fucking jobber you know. All three of those guys are terrific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ron, first time I saw live stand-up, Ron was uh, was uh, the middle. Um, I think it was Jeremy Hotz's last uh, last run uh, before he moved out to L.A. Yeah, and uh, I went to see him headline, and Sarukas was emceeing, and uh, Jossel was one of the middles. Yeah, and uh, it, it it was really fun because Jossel's become a good buddy over the years. And uh, a number of times I've remarked to him that he was one of the first comedians I ever saw perform live. And uh, uh, Jossel is a Jossel is, a, is sometimes an underrated killer. He is a yes, a wicked comic. And uh, Jean Paul, if uh, anyone listening ever get the chance, go check him out. He is terrific. And of course, Russell Peters, uh, probably the most successful Canadian stand-up in the past twenty years. Mm -hmm. If not longer, I mean, yeah. I guess he's probably more successful than Rich Little, the most successful Canadian stand-up of all time. Yeah, my my first <laughs> my first showcase at Yucks 
was uh, same night as as JP and Russell, and I don't think I don't think Mark spent more than five seconds on me afterwards. Uh, <laughs> that tire is flat. Let's let's just move on. So no, uh, but, but but that's not always the measuring stick because Mark passed me up about six times. Really. Oh, yeah. I got passed over a ton over the years. Uh, They finally, Yucks finally offered me a contract um, after I was successful, pretty much. uh, uh, It might have even been, I I don't know if it was after Letterkenny, but it wasn't that long before it. If it wasn't, it was, I, I, you know, by the time they offered me a contract, I was a full-time comedian paying my, all my bills through comedy money. I had a successful career uh, and I built it all without them on my own, just completely independent. Wow. And now they wanted some of my money and it was like, uh, I appreciate it, but it's, it's too late. I don't, that is, I don't, uh, I don't need, I don't need uh, the help anymore. Yeah. That is incredibly Canadian. So you, you know, you gotta, you gotta eke out your success maybe South of the border before somebody at home pays attention to you. I'm lucky that I hadn't gone down to the States yet. I, it was just, I generated a living at all the other clubs in Canada Mm -hmm. and it was just, uh, it, it, it it was undeniable. I think I was the, you know, I, I, it might've been after my best comedian in Canada win. Yeah. So. (laughs) And who is he? And do we have him? No. Can we call him? Do we have a number? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And, uh, and now, now every once in a while, they they you know call me up and ask me to do a special show at one of the clubs. And yeah, it's, it's. Oh, you cutting out on me there, son? Oh, sorry, my uh, uh, my sister's calling in. <laughs> to... <laughs> well, I'm leaving this in. Got to decline that one. Sorry, I'll get back <laughs> to you later, Stephanie. You were saying they call you for a special show once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while they'll be, you know, they'll ask me to, to uh, do a, a headline show here and there. They're, they'll have requests for me, and yeah. and I've always maintained a good relationship with them. You know, there, there's no point in in being mad at them or or holding ill will. Uh, you know, they're uh, they they didn't see what what I knew was there, and uh, it, it was it was their loss. But I'm not going to be bitter and. You know, if, if, if they want to work me, great, I'll, I'll work with them, but they're going to pay my rate. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. But, you, uh, you say you were, uh, you were already, uh, before they spoke to you, before they tried to sign you, you were already uh, full-time, working full-time, making your living as a comedian. Step a day before that, Okay. A day before the decision that you're a full-time comedian, what are you doing for a living? How are you how are you making your living up until the day you say fuck this, I'm a comedian? Uh, I worked in uh in restaurants. Oh yeah. For years and years. Um when I was uh when I was a teenager, I worked at uh at Bruno's Fine Foods in Etobicoke <laughs> in in the meat department. Uh uh, trained by Italians on how to cut and package meat and keep your thumbs and uh, and keep my thumbs. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and from that food uh, preparatory experience, I got a kitchen job with uh, Gabby's Grill and Taps, 
And then uh, from there, I went to work for Eastside Mario's. And oh then I uh, oh. then I ended up at uh, Milestones for several years. And then uh, my final kitchen job was uh, two doors over from Milestones. I moved to the Kelsey's and uh, worked there. So I was, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I uh, It was like a Thursday or Friday night. I was opening for Louis C.K., at uh the um the sony center okay down downtown yeah for like you know three thousand four thousand people <laughs> uh and then the next day i'm working the lunch rush at kelsey's and uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was it was it like an eight top that was getting real demanding and you finally realized I don't need to be here. Here's the thing. I never quit my job and they never fired me. I am still technically on the books at that Kelsey's in Etobicoke. (laughs) Um, When I started, when I started at the Kelsey's, I I was making a big switch. So I'd, I'd been working at milestones for years and I'd, uh, I'd worked my way up to uh, lead prep cook. And I was putting in like, sometimes I was putting in like insanely long days and and I was I was miserable and I was not where I wanted to be and I knew I had to make a change so I was uh, I was doing a lot of stuff poorly and nothing incredibly well I was trying to be an actor and a stand up and have a sketch troupe all at the same time and I wasn't focusing on any one thing I was just sort of dabbling in a bunch of different things so I made the decision that I had to focus on stand up because that was the one I could control and everything else was going to move into, you know, second or third place behind stand-up. So I, I left milestones and I walked two doors over and got a job at, uh, at Kelsey's. And, uh, it was like, you know, ultimately the same, uh, parent company, yeah. uh, ran both restaurants. So, uh, you know, like it, it was an easy switch and I had, I had friends over at the Kelsey's as well who encouraged me to come because it was just an, an easier menu milestones, um, of all the, the family themed dining probably does the most in-house food preparation mm-hmm. of, uh, of all those restaurants. And so it was just really exhausting because they're a family themed restaurant trying to do like fine dining quality. And, uh, it was just, it just took a lot out of me. I was like doing 14 hour Saturdays trying to keep up with the rush. So uh, I went to two doors over, uh, got a job, told them I'm only working days, uh, cause nights are for stand up. And, uh, I was honest with them. Like, uh, I'm signing up as part time, but, uh, I, I, you can schedule me as much as you want when, during the week. But when I have uh, a gig, that's going to take priority and I'm going to go do that. And they hired me accepting those stipulations and worked there for a couple of years. They were great, always supportive and, and, uh, stuck to their agreement. And then, we shuffled through uh, a few managers, all who uh, got it and, and understood what my position was. And finally, they brought in a troubleshooter to fix all the problems in the restaurant. And, and I was one of the problems. I, <laughs> I had at that point, I was one of the more senior cooks. I'd lasted out a lot of the other guys. Yeah. And, and I just on paper, I made no sense. I worked part time, but got full time shifts when I was on. I got the best choice hours, but I was hardly ever there because i was i was getting a lot of road work and so they just stopped putting me on the schedule yeah and uh and it was like you know what 
it's a really okay that they're doing that because I'm busy. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm going to see how this goes. And, uh, it, it worked out, you know, I never looked back, but I also never went back in and, and I, I'm pretty sure they probably owe me severance for making my job obsolete. So that's probably <laughs> why they haven't said anything. And, um, they actually, uh, uh, redid the entire restaurant. So it was like closed for, uh, almost a year and a half. Wow. Uh, and now I'm just not going into any building, but, uh, <laughs> a, a couple of years ago I ran into the, the new kitchen manager at the restaurant. He was in the audience at one of my shows. He was a fan of mine and I, I asked him about it and he said, I can tell you for a fact, uh, you're still on the books and it's an ongoing joke in the restaurant, uh, that, that you're still technically employed by the company. So <laughs> I wonder, I wonder how close they've come to calling you when things are, when things are slammed in there. Oh, I know. One day I'm just going to get a, a, a call and they're going to expect me to come do a lunch rush. <laughs> <laughs> how long ago did you, uh, walk out and say, how, how long ago were you determined to be the problem? Let's put it like that. How long, how long has it been since you worked a, a shift at Kelsey's? Uh, I think it was, I think it was about, uh, end of 2011, beginning of 2012. It was somewhere in that range. It was, wow. uh, you know what I'm going to, I'm going to say it was 2012. You know what? Cause it, it was, uh, it was end of 2012 because, uh, it was after, uh, opening for Louis yeah. that, uh, that I left. And that was at the first JFL 42, which was after uh, I did the homegrown competition, which was 2012. Yeah, and uh, ever since this has been this has been the gig, and that's I'm fucking fantastic, man. Um, it's it's been fun. It's been nice, you know, uh, seeing it all come together. You know, like I, I started out as a kid actor, so I've yeah. been, I've been in entertainment longer than I haven't. Uh, I started when I was 14, so. Uh, I'm about to turn 40 and uh, <laughs> so I've been, I've been at it for a while and it's, you know, it's funny cause like in 2012, I was 12 years into stand up. I'd started in 2000 mm -hmm. and uh, I was, you know, about 20 years into my entertainment career and I won the best newcomer in Canada award after 12 years of stand up. <laughs> 12 years to become the best newcomer oh god <laughs> but yeah you you started i know you went to uh you went to esa didn't you etobicoke school of the arts i did i yeah. did i was uh i went there and i did five years there because i still had oac to date myself uh <laughs> oh listen you want to listen don't worry about dating yourself because i am the last class of grade 13s we oh before before it got renamed OACs. We <laughs> uh, my senior year is the first year of OACs. Uh, so my graduating class is a little larger because some of the twelves did OACs and graduated with us. But I am <laughs> I am the last I'm the last year that there were actual grade thirteens in Ontario. So, oh, wow. yeah, so the, uh, the, uh, the, the overtime, the extra inning was grade 14 when I was, <laughs> when I was in high school and now <laughs> I have, I have friends who were like the last of the OACs, which is just how they tapered off to get it down to grade 12. Right. 
Yeah, so, I think I was one. Of, I was one of the last OAC years. <laughs> you you had it so easy. <laughs> and you went to and you went to Etobicoke School of the Arts. So I'm assuming that it was all like a, a, every day was an episode of fame, and you'd bust out in the song and dance in the hallways, jumping on cabs in the street. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you were you were definitely allowed to be weird there. Yeah, uh, and and that's what I liked about it. It was it was a unique place. Like uh, it was funny because like all my when I got into it, all my friends made fun of me because we were in in middle school mm-hmm. and uh and esa was of course the gay school that Ugh. was the reputation that it had like oh if you, you're gonna go to esa some guy's gonna try to have sex with you in the showers and that was that was the running gag my friends would all tell me and uh and it was like yeah there's a lot of out guys at esa but it's because they feel comfortable because it's, it's a yeah a, a school that uh, i mean the, there were just as many gay guys at every other school they were just uh, too scared to let anyone know. <laughs> Everyone was out at my school because it was a wonderful, magical place of acceptance. So, And all my friends who made fun of me all came and hung out at my school, all dated girls from my school, uh, <laughs> spent more time at my school than any of their schools because uh, <laughs> it was the best school. It really was. It was you could be you could be a freak and be the coolest kid in the school. Like I was at any other school, I'd have been a great big dork you know uh, <laughs> big giant you know fat kid who loves uh pro wrestling and comic books and musical theater uh i i'd have been uh, you know i'd have had to suppress all that and join the football team uh i couldn't join the football team we didn't have one at esa uh not enough boys <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing everyone made fun of us for being the gay school when i joined that school it was a seven to one girl boy ratio. Wow. Yeah. Seven to one greatest... seven to one girl boy, you figure that you, you figure that there's well over ten percent of the male population that's gay because you know, they're drawn to the school. So you're probably looking at a one to eight, one to nine ratio if you're a heterosexual boy in his teens. <laughs> It was a tremendous school. That's all I can say. <laughs> Headline: Young Trevor Wilson has no complaints about high school. Oh, it was. It, I, I was president. Like you know, I, I, any other school, I would have been. I would have been a great big dork there. They made me their leader. That's like it was fantastic. It was. It was a great school, and and like I still have uh, you know so many wonderful friends from yeah. those days. And amazingly talented people. And, you know, like not, not everyone went into the arts. Some people took those skills and applied them in other fields. But, mm-hmm. uh, there are, you know, a lot of terrific, uh, performers that, uh, that, that I came up with. Uh, my friend, uh, uh, Nicola Karai Demude, uh, works all the time. Uh, she was on the Degrassi, the next generation. She's, I, I think she's got like three TV shows right now. She's got a sci-fi series on Netflix. She's on one of those mystery shows on CBC and she'll I don't know, show up on 18 other uh, episodics. Like I got so many friends that I just, I, I, I can't even turn around without hitting them. And <laughs> if, if we other friends that hit, you know, music theater success, I think some of the arcade fire went to my school. Oh, I don't geez. know. The, oh no! You mentioned you mentioned musical theater, and, and I have to ask: 
did you ever did you do theater in school did you and especially did you do any musical theater i well i majored in drama so yeah. uh I, I did a lot of plays uh and and pretty much how it worked like there was always shows going on because there was like the main stage productions every year yeah but then the the senior classes for their class project like every semesters uh you do like an independent study so you'd a lot of times they would direct a show and so they'd have to cast it from students so like every semester i was doing uh some sort of play or show and i i took a music theater minor and uh actually my oac year i got brought in to the big uh end of year music theater show because one of the students uh dropped out uh about a month before the show or a couple weeks before the show mm -hmm. and i i had a really good reputation for for learning shows quickly um i just have one of those steel trap brains so i i memorize lines ridiculously what? fast what was the show uh it was actually a musical version of the tempest uh that had been written by uh the music theater teacher uh, and it was just sort of like a, a music theater review. They grabbed like popular songs from from other shows and, and sort of made this patchwork musical. Yeah. And uh, the they needed uh, the the guy who backed out was playing the the comic relief role, the the buffoon. So it was perfect for me. <laughs> and uh, so she she asked me if I would because I was I think I was doing the chorus just so I could get invited to the cast party. It was a, <laughs> plan I, I dug up with my music theater friends uh -huh. and then and then i was in chorus rehearsal one day and uh, i got pulled out by the music uh by, by mr o the music theater teacher and she's like rory's dropped out of the play and we need someone to step in and do you think you can you can do this and i was like sure and she handed me the script and she said no i wrote this script so if there's anything you think you can make funnier feel free and i'm like okay so you just want me to like improv a lot and and be ridiculous and she's like can you do that and i said mr Rowe, i was gonna do it anyway so. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you end up singing i'm trying to remember uh our big musical numbers there was a couple songs from uh from into the woods in that musical i remember that much and uh i don't remember the songs as much as i remember the I, I, I had two sidekicks and I got to choreograph a bunch of really fun slapstick with them. Mm -hmm. And I figured out that one of the guys was small enough that we could do the, uh, we could do the, the double choke lift gag. He could grab my <laughs> wrists really tight and yeah. I could lift him up off his feet yeah. like, and made it look like I was choking him to death. And we did that a couple times where I'd pick him up and toss him to someone else. <laughs> and, uh, we just, we just had some really good fun doing those, uh, doing a lot of slapstick fantastic so okay when we talk about musical theater and i'm i'm i'm, I'm sidetracking myself here because i want to talk to you about letter kenny of course but when we talk about your early desire to perform and i know that there are performers in your family going back generations you go to esa and somewhere in here you grow to love professional wrestling how do you not become a professional wrestler? Um, well, I was never much of an athlete. You know, okay. As I said, I was, uh, I was a, a, a chubby kid and uh, uh, I was, you know, 
just becoming like a, an actor was crazy enough. Like I, becoming a wrestler, I didn't know how, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, where do you go to wrestling school? Where does any of this happen? And, uh, like by the time I started to find out about it, I was, I was, you know, too deep into the other stuff I was doing. And then I, I finally did take a stab at it when I was 30, uh, sort of by accident. Um, I was, I was contacted by a guy who's trying to put together a comedy wrestling show mm-hmm. and he wanted the comedians, uh, to bump or, and, and he, I, ideally he wanted us to wrestle matches, <laughs> but we were all like, I don't know if that's a good idea at all. Um, but we could at least, you know, take some bumps. And I, I think they were tossing around the idea of how the format was going to be at one point. It was going to be like, uh, like an old school sort of NXT format where the comedians were going to be the NXT trainees and we were going to get the uh, local indie guys to be like the coach for each, each dude. That was one of the ideas that got tossed around, but either way he set it up for us to train uh, with squared circle mm-hmm. uh, with Fuego and those guys. So I think the first, I think there were supposed to be 20 comics and I think the first uh, session, only 10 of us actually showed up. And then after that, only three of us came back. And, uh, and eventually the, the guy who's promoting the show just vanished. He, he, uh, took off to BC or something. And I remember, a, a I remember. Sleazy wrestling promoter. What, I know. <laughs> I, I won't stand for your lies. And I remember, uh, 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 Rob, uh, was just like, I don't know what's going on, but until we figured out, you guys are, are free to, you know, keep coming to class and, yeah. and we can figure something out. And, and, and he was just really great and, and gracious and lovely about it. So we, we kept going back. And, uh, I mean, I had so much fun, uh, at wrestling school, you know, um, it was, it was, I'm such a supportive group of guys. Like no one, no one was, was ever mean or, uh, or a dink about anything. And we were all, uh, just really, you know, everyone there is there cause they love wrestling. So we were having a, a great time doing it, but I was starting to get really busy, uh, with yeah. stand up. It was right when I was starting to get, uh, uh, some success. So I was constantly heading out on the road. And so I was, you know, I'd show up for two classes a week and then I'd be gone for several classes in a row. And, uh, I started finding that every time I, I had to miss a couple classes and I'd go back to it, my, my body would, you know, reset and I'd have to, retrain all that muscle memory mm-hmm. and uh I, I, you know as you know but as as people who've never gone to school don't realize how how much your body resists you know <laughs> taking a bump in the beginning and how you really have to train your body to go throw yourself at the ground and spread yourself out as big as possible yeah and because your body's natural instinct is to you know tuck in and shrink. yeah yeah and um and so I'd, I'd find myself like my, my body would just not, re, you know, I'd, I'd have to retrain myself and retrain my mind to do all those things. And, and, uh, I was starting to get really scared. I was going to hurt someone as we got into the more complex stuff. Mm. And, uh, I was also, uh, I, working with a pre-existing condition. Uh, my, I have a deteriorated lattice in my right eye and my eye doctor had told me, not to get punched in the face because it could detach my retina. <laughs> oh, so wrestling's a great idea then. Yeah, so it's like so just going to wrestling school, I was I was kind of risking uh, uh, going blind possibly in yeah. one eye. 
So uh, eventually it was like, you know, I've got to pick one of these crazy lunatic dreams and, <laughs> and comedy is the one that I put the most into that's going to, to pay off. So I, I'm going to let that, you know, I'm going to pick that one. But I, I always, always value uh, the time I had at Squared Circle and, and everyone there, the coaches and the, the wrestlers. Yeah. We're all terrific guys. And I mean, and the, and, and the guys that were like Sebastian Suave was one of my coaches. He, oh, that asshole. He ran the class a couple of times. Um, <laughs> uh, I've John, had John enough. Of, I've had enough of that fucking guy. <laughs> For those who John don't know, Breed I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> Breed and, and, and Tarek were also in the, uh, we're also there. They were like the senior guys yeah. ahead of us, but you know, we, we suited up in the same locker room. They just hit the more experienced ring after we did our stretches and warmups. Yeah. Um, but great, great guys. And, and I, you know, I had fun. I went with the two other comics, Ryan McGlunub and, and Brendan McKeegan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they stuck around longer than I did. They, they actually got to do a couple matches in class. I think they got some video of, of them losing a, a tag to John and, and Tarek, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, McGlunub took, a uh, uh, DDT double stomp combo from John and Tarek that uh, I think it's still the highlight of his life. You never, uh, you never ended up wrestling a match even in class. I, I never got to the the match part in uh. class, uh, but uh, but I did find out I had a pretty sweet uh, Mahistral cradle, so I was uh, very oh. happy with that. Oh, fancy boy! Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> my my jackknife pin was garbage, so I had to have something. <laughs> you see. Now, you could have come to a wrestler's union show and I would have put you over in a battle royale, but no, you have to go up north to Sudbury to film your fancy TV show. <laughs> it pays the bills. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, you weren't going to be paying any bills working for me. So, uh, okay, let's let's get to Letter Kenny. You, you say uh, about 2012 is when you finally decide why am i working the kitchen i am a comedian and you become a full-time comedian dedicate yourself to that and it's somewhere around 2015 i'm gonna guess that uh jared kiso comes to you and says i've got this idea is that how it went how did letter kenny come about for you um letter i met the the producers uh Mark Montefiore and Pat O'Sullivan uh, from New Metric Media at uh, JFL. Uh, they they saw me do my thing and uh, approached me about um, coming up with a. They wanted me to pitch them a show based on my stand-up, and I pitched them a show, and they weren't that interested in it. But we stayed friendly and and uh, continued. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd pitch them some ideas every once in a while, and then. Uh, and the, at the same time, Jared Kiso uh, had developed this web series, Letter Kenny Problems, that was uh, killing it on the internet. Um, and I, I'd been a fan of, of the shorts. I discovered them on uh, when Funny or Die featured them mm-hmm. uh, as one of their things. So uh, word goes out that uh, they're casting for this new show, Letter Kenny, and my agent. Mary sends me the breakdown and with a couple of the videos attached. And I'm like, is this the thing I think it is? And I watch the videos and sure enough, it's, they're making a TV show to letter Kenny problem. So I'm, I'm jazzed. Like, uh, this is a, a thing I really like and something I really think I could be a part of. So, uh, I went to my audition and, and just, uh, I, you know, did my homework on it, made sure I could uh, match Jared and 
Nate's pacing and uh, just gave it the old uh, college try. Gave it a, a strong audition and uh, fate worked out in my favor. I ended up getting cast in the role and uh, I found out years later there were some people pulling for me. New Metric Media uh, had, uh, had recommended me. I also found out that actually the executives at Bell uh, had gone to bat for me. They were fans of mine from my JFL appearances and uh, because uh, Squirrely Dane was written for Dan Petronevich who plays McMurray. Oh, and, uh, okay. uh, Dan and, uh, uh, Jared worked together on 19-2 and were great buddies. And, and Petronevich is a hilarious storyteller. If you ever get a chance to meet him, uh, he's, he's got some hilarious stories that bend your ear. And, uh, he, he was all set to do it. He had, uh, network approval and all that. And then a couple things came up in his life, uh, a movie role offer and also some, personal things uh that that prevented him from committing full time to the project so uh he had to step down from the role i was the second choice so i got brought in and then the role of mcmurray was created so that dan could still be a part of the world which i I think you know he's absolutely brilliant as mcmurray in the whole uh uh storyline that that's opened up with, with him and then mel coming in as mrs mcmurray uh has been terrific, but just lucked out for me. I got a chance to take the role and, uh, I, you know, take it in a slightly different direction and make it a bit my own, but it was just, it was, it was a random, you know, it was just one of those luck of the draw things. I, yeah. I had some people going to bat for me, but I, I didn't know Jared Kiso. First time I met him was, uh, first day in Sudbury, uh, oh, to wow. shoot the show. I, uh, uh we were going to do a, a big group table read and, uh, I was outside, having a smoke and Jared Kiso walked up to me, handed me a bottle of Jameson and a mixed CD and said, welcome to letter Kenny. And I said, <laughs> you and I are going to get along just fine. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if Dan Petronievich was, uh, was set to play squirrely Dan to begin with, what were you auditioning for, sir? I auditioned for squirrely Dan. Like we all oh, had okay. to audition. Yeah. We all had to audition for our, for our jobs. Even, even the hockey players, who played the role in the shorts had to audition to, to play themselves. So, right. I mean, it, it is, it is a process and, and like uh, something that people don't realize about like shows in Canada, there's a lot of rules surrounding casting and, and where you're allowed to cast from. And you have to uh, hire so many people from the area that you're working in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you can expand it. Uh, you have so many people from the province. And then so like, they actually had uh, uh, a limit on how far and who they could bring in from how far away. So it was a, it was a tough haul for even the guys that the roles were written for yeah. uh, to get the parts that they were meant to play sometimes. But, but it all worked okay. out in the end and we ended up with, uh, with an absolute dream group of people. But yeah. And I went out and read for Squirrely Dan. I thought I did a good job and um, it, it turns out I did. It just, the role wasn't uh, originally written for me. So. Huh. <laughs> and, uh, and you, you film in, um, two blocks a year right generally yeah we've been uh, like the first year we did uh the i think the first two years were just one and then over the past few years we've done two i think one year we did three um but generally we do like a, a summer season and then a winter season mm-hmm. um although this year we're we're doing both blocks back to back because we're we're making up for lost time uh, because, uh, uh, COVID interrupted our, our shooting schedule for last year. We, uh, we didn't get our insurance 
soon we could we were supposed to go to camera in august uh but uh but COVID prevented us from getting properly insured so right. now we have all of our insurance and we're scheduled i think to go back to work in may uh and we'll be doing two seasons uh back to back uh to get them ready for um uh, people keep asking when the next season's coming out and i i can honestly say i don't think it'll be ready anytime before uh christmas yeah. uh, i think it's it's going to be another christmas release yeah but uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing two back to back, which will be interesting because I've never done two straight months in Sudbury. We've always done one month and then had a couple months off and then come back. Yeah. So it'll be, uh, you know, uh, we've been up there for for several years. Sudbury's become a real second home. Um, we we have a, a a condo up there that the show supplies for us and my fiance and i have been in the same condo for the past few seasons and she actually works uh, uh for the show as well she's she got a job a few seasons ago uh as a dog walker on set for oh. uh the director and, and one of the producers because they bring their dogs up and uh so she's she's actually got like the the best job everyone says on the show because she just shows up and gets the dogs and then goes for a walk and spends all day playing with dogs <laughs> Um, and we're, we're a super dog friendly cast on, on letter Cuddy Cause yeah. you know, Jared brings like Gus is Jared's real dog. That's his actual dog yeah. that he uses to play Gus on the show. And, and actually Nate's dog on the show is the director, Jacob Tierney's dog, Graham. And that's one of the dogs my fiance walks. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but we go up there, she comes up and she works and she actually sometimes has, has to work more than I do because I sometimes get a day off. Uh, <laughs> and then we actually bring our rabbits up with us too. So our, we, we bring our whole life with us and, and, uh, just live in Sudbury quite, uh, quite happily <laughs> for, for the shoot. So, so what, what has COVID done? You know, you, you say that COVID has delayed at least one season of letter Kenny, what has COVID done to you overall? How have you been coping besides doing more obscure podcast appearances what <laughs> what, ha- what what has it done to you and what have you been doing to it you know i, I i'll be honest it, it it hit me pretty hard at the beginning i think the, the first month uh because because i was on tour with letter kenny we were doing letter kenny live mm-hmm. uh when COVID hit so we started in february last year and around this time last year, we were in New Brunswick getting the show ready to launch. And it was the, the largest version of Letterkenny Live. We had, we did two tours, um, with, uh, uh, just four people, myself, uh, Jared, Nate, and, uh, Mark Forward, mm-hmm. uh, who plays coach on the show. And we did, uh, across Canada, uh, we did two cross Canada tours of Letterkenny Live, uh, I think in the same year. God, that was a busy year. I was burnt out at the end of that one. I remember, and then that was us, like starting in the East Coast, working our way to the West Coast in a in a in a bus with uh, with our crew, uh, driving straight across Canada mm. with our awesome driver Don from Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, Don was this crazy old bus driver from Oklahoma who wanted to see a moose, and uh, <laughs> now when you say he wa- when you say you wanted to see a moose, he just wanted to see one right he didn't he, he he wasn't painting a target on the windshield nope just wanted to see a moose he, he, you know everyone told him how beautiful canada was and, and uh there's a good chance he was going to see a moose so he was real excited <laughs> and then uh one day i was i went up front and asked him how the trip's going and he's like 
everyone was talking about how beautiful the scenery is. I got all excited. I forgot. I do all my driving at night. I can't see shit. <laughs> I have no idea what any of this looks like. And I was like, well, at least have you seen a moose? He's like, I haven't seen no moose. I've seen one bobcat and like 15 jackrabbits. I got jackrabbits <laughs> in Oklahoma. I want to see a goddamn moose. <laughs> he actually said the, the greatest, one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. We were, uh, it was late at night. And we were, uh, we were on our way out of New Brunswick, and he was looking for a. He pulled off to go to a flying J that he found because we needed gas, and it turned out to be a fake flying J. Oh come on! They they, they flew the signs, but they weren't a, uh, an operating flying J anymore, and it was all closed. And he was pissed because we'd gone a bit off uh, track to get to this place. Yeah. And uh, and I was the only one up because I, I was I, I needed to use the can. And uh, there's a rule on tour buses, no number two in the loo. Yep. Um, so I was waiting up uh, to use the, the can before I hit the hit the head for the night. So uh, I'm standing out there having a smoke, and, and Don's flipping out over the lack of uh, gasoline. And he, <laughs> he says, I've been through two divorces and a butt fuck, and I ain't never seen bullshit like this. <laughs> Well, that's the sample for this episode. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I kind of need more to that story, but I kind of also don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrific! <laughs> yeah, so we, we did uh, we did those two tours, and then we did um, a smaller one uh, of the of three cities in the states with Michelle mm -hmm. uh, uh, two years ago to test out how marketable it was in the States. The Live Nation people didn't 100% uh, know if it would sell, and, and we sold out six shows, including two on Broadway, which is wow. uh, a personal highlight. Um, and then uh, we were all set for this one. This was like uh, most of the cast. This was like the – we had Michelle, Nate, myself, Mark. Uh, we had Evan and, uh, and Tyler representing the skids, and we had uh, – uh, Andrew and Dylan, the hockey boys. It was it was a large blast of the cast, and uh, we we'd started in New Brunswick. We worked our way back to Ontario, uh, and we had just crossed over to the states. We did a show at the Masonic Temple in Detroit for about five thousand people, wow. and then we were in Buffalo getting ready for our show, and just everything started canceling. Cities started shutting down. Yeah. I think uh, I think the first. One was Seattle uh, canceled, and then it just started steamrolling. And I was actually – I had gone downstairs to catch the ride to the venue, and I got a call from Kiso saying, uh, we're calling it, pack your bags, we're heading back to Canada. And so I went back up, threw all my stuff into the suitcase, and, and home we went. And then um, my fiance uh, was waiting for me at the house. We went and stocked up on groceries, and then I isolated for two weeks because we you know, just crossed the border. And – and that was that, but, you know, I've been home ever since. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were looking forward to Letterkenny. Then that fell through. We had uh, a couple other jobs come and go. I uh, had a lot of offers for stuff, but it involved traveling. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a recovering diabetic. Uh, I, I, I got type 2 diabetes a few years ago. And a couple of years back, I got the clean bill of health that I'd normalized my blood sugar. But I'm still very high risk and, and yeah. my fiance has a history of uh 
of breathing problems. She's got um, uh, uh, allergic asthma and uh, she, she caught like bronchitis twice uh, last year. So mm-hmm. she's high risk. My father was in the middle of chemotherapy. So uh, to even be around my dad, we had to play it extra safe. So I was, you know, I, I, I couldn't travel for work because it, it just wasn't worth the risk. And then I started every job I booked uh, except for one, all got uh, uh, postponed or put off because of, uh, <clears throat> because of, because the of coronavirus. Yeah. I think the, the only, the only job I ended up uh, getting through on and shooting, I did uh, a couple days on a kid's show called Miss Persona. Uh, back in September, uh, which was actually a really fun uh, uh, kid show. Uh, Anthony Corelli uh, oh, yeah. a, recurring on it as well. Um, it's really funny. Uh, there's a ton of, of uh, wrestling fans on the set of uh, Miss Persona, so uh, they were all they all knew I was a wrestling geek, so they were all telling me about Santino being on the show, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." Okay. Uh, so I, I did a couple days on there, and then uh, a lot of cameos and a lot of uh, <laughs> hosting stuff from my living room. Um, <laughs> okay. I, waiting, waiting for the gigs to happen. <laughs> I, ha- I I have to go back to wrestling because I just I just glanced across one of my notes here, and I remembered something that I have to. Uh, I I uh, this might be an accusation. This might be a bone I legitimately have to pick with you. Let's see if mm-hmm. let's see which this is. I could be totally wrong here, but if I'm not wrong, you were one of a crew of uh, stand-up comedy uh, felons who sat front row at a fight brand wrestling show many many moons ago when I was managing uh, Brett Banks. And uh, you might have been the instigator, if not just one of the the culprits, who sang the entire Fresh Prince of uh, Fresh Prince theme song at me. <laughs> were you, were you one of those rat bastards? I was indeed one of those rat bastards, <laughs> uh, for sure. I, I, you motherfucker. I, I was not the instigator. I was responsible for most of the beard chants that broke out at those shows. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> we were really impressed with the beards of uh, uh, the bearded dragon, Scotty Turner. Yeah. And uh, Cody Diener. Beards were very over at the Pipe Brand shows. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we, we went to a bunch of those shows and we rolled about two rows deep yeah. of stand up comedians to those. You and, uh, oh yeah, we bastards. were, you guys threw a lot of wrestlers at us to shut us up too. Yes. <laughs> I had a couple guys. I, I, I definitely had Ash land on my lap. Yeah. Uh, a couple times. I remember once, uh, I just come back from getting a beer cause it had been spilt by a wrestler being suicide diving into us and uh mike elgin was getting ready to uh suplex someone into the stands and i went are you actually gonna suplex him because i just got this beer and he's like he's coming straight at you and we all <laughs> all the comedians got up and moved <laughs> and just parted like the red sea <laughs> so so for those listen the fact is if you're listening to this show you probably know but uh, I, I've been thankful to be getting, you know, new listeners lately from some of the interviews I've done. I'm sure some listeners will come to this because of you that don't 
particularly know me. I have been getting called Uncle Phil by wrestling crowds for probably... The earliest I know of for sure is 2005. So 15 years of crowds yelling Uncle Phil at me. And on this one particular show uh, back in 2012 or 2013, uh, Trev and Gavin, a few, a a bunch of local comics, sitting in the front two rows of this show when I came out and was cutting promo, started, just out of nowhere, started singing the Fresh Prince uh, theme song at me. And it just kept going and going and going. And these fucking clowns, there is video proof of it. I will include it in the show notes to this video, uh, to this to this podcast. This group of fucking clowns sang the entire Fresh Prince song at me while I turned and walked around the ring trying not to corpse at them. Brent Banks trying to spin me around to make me listen to them directly. And I remember at the end of it, I bailed out of the ring and I'm standing in the front row and you guys finished and you're getting a round of applause or giving each other a round of applause. You fucking losers. And, <laughs> and all I, and I, I just knew I had to say something or else I'm done. And I just looked, I waited for it to calm down just enough. And I yelled at you. If you fucking do that again, I'll throw you all out of here like your names were Jazz. And that was... <laughs> but for years now, for years... I'm, I'm so grateful that they put that on YouTube and it's still on YouTube. Because I need... We had, uh, we had so much fun at those shows. Uh, like we, we had guys who came in from Montreal to check those out. Mike Patterson who actually, uh, he's a stand-up comic, but he actually is a manager uh, in Montreal. He's Mike the Mind Patterson. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, he, came, he came out with a couple Montreal guys. We brought Ari Shafir to his first indie wrestling show. Really? Uh, he, Ari Shafir, we brought him to one of the Fight Brand shows. Uh, he got into it, too, because, I mean, like he's a buddy with Joe Rogan, so he'd gone to a few MMA events, and he yeah. was like, he wasn't sure about it, but he got right into it i remember him screaming at the ref <laughs> holy shit you know that we, you know there was a three count ref <laughs> don't give me this bullshit <laughs> <laughs> i can absolutely see ari shafir yelling at a ref that makes total remember, sense to me we used to have so much fun with uh because uh, uh josh alexander and courtney rush were, were paired together yeah at the fight shows and they were doing that gimmick where courtney was you know the 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 face nice girl Yes. And oh, Josh yes. was the horribly mean boyfriend yeah. uh, to her. And one of my favorite heckles ever at a wrestling show, Mike Patterson screams at Josh, one day you're going to wake up five years from now and wonder where the love is gone. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Projecting? <laughs> it, was, it was right after I think he put Courtney in the path of an attack. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so you, I mean, your, your wrestling fandom runs deep, deep, deep. There's, this is, it's undeniable. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, 
like you know I, I i got into it as a kid you know as most people do it's like real life superheroes and uh, i mean and also there's hulk hogan's rock and wrestling when i was yeah. uh, a kid so there was literally a cartoon to introduce us to the all the wrestlers and uh but i mean it was just amazing these these giant superheroes fighting each other and uh you know i, I watched it uh, all through my childhood and and when I got into adolescence, when some of my friends decided it wasn't uh, cool, I, I didn't care. Uh, I still thought it was, and I gravitate, gravitated toward my other group of friends who all still loved wrestling. And then, um, you know, when, uh, and, and, you know, everyone would be like, like why do you like wrestling? It's fake. It's like, uh, I, don't, I don't care. It's awesome. <laughs> and then even after, like, uh, even after, you know, the, the, tough enough and, and 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 all the curtain got pulled back yeah and we saw behind it like it, it didn't lessen my interest in it it actually just heightened it i became so intrigued and obsessed with this industry that like just as a whole decided we're going to put in the fix and and uh i became um like i just i, I love the whole history of it and, and going back and and researching about you know the golden triangle and mm -hmm. the, the you know the the, the carney uh beginnings of it and so you're, uh, you're a big toots mont fan are you oh man like, <laughs> all of it is the, the 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 story of the masked wrestler the tournament in new york where the masked wrestler showed up and sat in the audience for the first day and insisted up and down that they they wouldn't let him into the uh, into the tournament because uh, of the mask, yeah. And just like how like the, the the layers upon layers of the of the work and how it all like you know it was like on one hand it was it was two worlds coming together. It was it was professional uh, you know wrestling combined with carnival wrestling combined to form this this is amazingly interesting industry of people and it is. I've always just been fascinated by it. It's mm. such a, a weird, you know, thing that exists. And I, there was a, a great quote uh, in um, a book I read about the history, the life and death of, of wrestling, and uh, the difference between uh, uh, wrestling and boxing is is wrestling accepted its illegitimacy <laughs> while boxing fought against it. <laughs> that is that's a. <laughs> fantastic line so okay so who as a kid when you first got into wrestling who were your favorite wrestlers as a kid i mean obviously i was a hulkamaniac yeah uh, i'm from that i'm from that generation so hulk hogan was the, the 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 top guy uh i was always a big fan of of like the mid-card guys like i i loved me uh ricky steamboat oh yeah when i was a kid I thought he was fantastic. I was a huge fan of tag team wrestling. Like tag team wrestling specifically really appealed to me. I, I think in my first or second grade notebook, there was a thing like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote a tag team wrestler. Um, <laughs> so I, I loved the British Bulldogs and, yeah. uh, and strike force and, and demolition. And, uh, you know, when I started finding out about, uh, the, the NWA wrestling, uh, I, I, the, the Road Warriors and the Rock and Roll Express and, and uh, the Steiner brothers were mm -hmm. uh, favorites of my brother and I in the 90s. Um, yeah, I mean, Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation, when they turned face, we were big Hart Foundation fans and then followed him when he went 
solo and um and there was always like i always had favorite heels too i thought like arn anderson was terrific like you know but before before arn anderson was one of the guys you'd point to and be like yeah but he's not fake like everything yes. he's doing is real yes like he just i he love just... arn anderson is is possibly my all-time favorite wrestler so you are you are singing to me sir I, I still don't think he's ever broken kayfabe. Like, <laughs> I, I, I loved that about the history of the Four Horsemen DVD. Everyone else is talking about how much money they drew. Yeah. And Arn was still pushing the storyline. Yeah, we didn't like Dusty Rhodes, so we broke his arm. Yes. That's how it works when you're a horseman. Like, that still hasn't broken character. Uh, um, I loved Haku. He was like one of my favorite mid-card heels in, a small uh, in the round of 80s. applause for you small round of applause uh, you're making you excellent know, choices sir i i <laughs> loved haku there was just something about a lot of the samoan guys i really loved yeah. uh i think it was because they were all big guys who moved like cats they yeah were just also agile like uh i mean rikishi i still i still don't understand the physics of how he takes that rotating clothesline bump at his size so. i neither do i and i you know what i ah, uh, i missed the opportunity i was on tour with him like 12 13 years ago and that that bump is a bump i wanted i wanted to learn desperately and uh, uh, two weeks in spain with the guy and never once did i say hey kishi Hey, Oos, can you can you can you help a brother out? Teach him a bump. I got to work. I was ring announcing, but they let me they let me wrestle one match on the tour, and it, it was uh, me and uh, Chris Masters and one of Booker's students, Brett, and I can't remember Brett's last name, and I'm sorry, Brett, because I still talk. I talk to him on uh, Facebook every once in a while. I can't think of his name all of a sudden, but we were we were working against. Uh, Hooventude and and the Samoans, Rikishi and Black Pearl, and I got to be in the ring with him, and it was like, fuck, this is my life. Don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always said uh, Samu. I've been friends with Samu for almost twenty five years, and I've always said uh, one of the keys to life, the key, my the simple keys to life, have six places in your town that treat you like a king. Uh, and have a Samoan friend. <laughs> no matter how bad things get, your Samoan friend will will be there to make sure you're okay. <laughs> I, I need more Samoan friends. I think that's oh, this, uh, that's what I'm learning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good it's a good thing to have. So who who now when you watch wrestling and what wrestling are you watching? But who now are your favorite wrestlers to watch? Uh, I'm I, I'm watching as much as I can. There's so much yeah. uh, wrestling going on. Like the the uh, the options are, are just limitless. And um, and getting there more. There's there's another show that was announced today. Did you hear? Yeah, and, and Paul White's with AEW now. Yes, it's crazy. And and he's going uh, to be he's going to be announcing doing a, a commentary for uh, a new web show AEW Dark, uh, not Ascension. I can't remember what the name of it is. All of a sudden, it's fucking yeah. Another no, it's, name it's uh, another name it's, to learn. Come on, <laughs> it's uh, 
it's been great. There's so many, and then there's so many talented guys. Like it's, yeah. I, you're picking a favorite is, is one of the hardest things. Cause like I'm, I'm loving so much of the wrestling. Like, um, I, I'm digging like the, the British guys, like a lot of that, uh, a lot of that style, uh, you know, I'm really just getting exposed to over these past few years. So, uh, you know, I'm, sort of just getting caught up on guys like Trent Seven and Tyler Bate and, mm-hmm. and Pete Dunn and Walter is like insanely oh my yeah. like, like uh, what a what a old school heel. Like yeah. just yeah, yeah. and being booked so well. Um tremendous Moose is is a guy that uh, on impact who like uh, I, I I'm always impressed by by big guys who can move yeah. and uh he did that I got to he see did that flip work. bump last night yeah and, i mean and, and i've got to see him work uh, a couple i saw him work a cage match with josh at destiny yeah uh, i saw him and and austin at uh austin aries at slammiversary a couple years back and uh he impresses the hell out of me mm-hmm. uh he reminds me a lot of of ernie ladd yeah um, and then, and then I saw that he was trained by Curtis Hughes. So I was like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. Since, uh, Mr. Hughes's first gimmick was big cat. Yeah. You know, it was, he, he was really inspired by, by Ernie Ladd, but I've been watching a lot of, I've actually been going into the way, way back machine and watching like old stuff from the seventies. Uh, so I, I, I just been watching a ton of Ernie Ladd matches recently. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of old Fuji matches. I, I've become oh. obsessed with, uh, with the pectoral claw, uh, <laughs> someone's got to bring that back. <laughs> I'm I'm into that. Uh, I'm into that that running coffin dive thing that he was doing, where <laughs> just running at you and and spinning in midair to land back first on your chest. I was like, "Fuck, I could do that. I I might start doing." That. I think I think when that yeah. clip resurfaced on YouTube or on uh, on Twitter. Uh, Every lazy old guy my age said, yeah, I'll fucking do that. That's a bump. That counts <laughs> as a bump. bump. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of coffin drops, Darby Allen, that guy is... Uh, oh, he's a mental case. That, that is... Uh, I, I mean, he's he, he's like a... Not as reckless as Sabu, but getting there. Like uh, No, is, not as... I I don't think anybody's as reckless as Sabu and uh <laughs> and I mean that I mean that in and out of the ring. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you a Sabu thing after we stop recording. <laughs> but uh oh and I mean like you know there's some great guys showing up on on AEW. Uh I've really enjoyed watching like the different like you know Orange Cassidy guys who do yep. it a bit different are really exciting. I'm you know and then the Lucha Bros, uh, you know, all the members of Elite are doing great work there. Moxley, John Moxley has really shown that he was being held back by yeah. what he's broken out to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of some of the unsigned guys too. Like I, I, I've always been a big, uh, I, I really like Davey Boy Smith Jr. I've always been a fan of his, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the history with the family. I was a huge fan of his dad's and, uh, but he's doing some amazing stuff out there on the indies. And then, you know, the, the WWE guys that are, are just, you know, uh, I love Kevin Owens. I think he's terrific. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, Roman Reigns as a heel. Yes, finally. Um, God. The the Hurt Business is, you know, like I, I, I 
Shelton Benjamin is has been amazing for years, and it's been great. Anytime he actually gets to do his thing yeah. and gets pushed well, I, I appreciate it. Anytime there's gold on the gold standard, it's a good day. <laughs> uh, yeah, the NXT stuff is, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Gargano. I, I thought he was, like, a few years ago, he was doing the best babyface run mm-hmm. that any WWE program had had for a while, but he's also really fun as a heel. And yeah. uh, uh, Candice as a heel is such a departure, you know, from the the world's cutest wrestler, but uh, they're pros and they make it work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just digging it. Like I, I'm tuning over to MLW too and watching their stuff and uh, Jacob Fatu. I mean, any guy that size that can do a, a, a double jump moonsault. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Put the title on him and keep it there. Yeah. Fright- uh, frighteningly agile, that guy. And like, and I also love watching Tommy Dreamer still have banger matches with yeah. Rich Swan and uh, Impact is really uh, stepping up their game, in my opinion, as far as uh, uh, how they're booking the storylines mm-hmm. and. The crossover with AEW is like, oh, I, I mean, I was saying that a few years ago with my some of my buddies, like the, these smaller companies, they, they're not going to, you can't take on the beast that is the WWE uh, and everyone else. you got to find a way to, to, to cooperate, to share the share it so that the, because that's the only way you're going to su- succeed. Do and, you, uh, when, when you see, AEW and Impact and now New Japan and there's still that little touch of NWA in there all working together. Do you think that we are going to get some kind of post-pandemic insane supercard out of this? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, it's it's almost like there, there hasn't been this many options for wrestlers and fans since the territories yeah. folded. Like yeah. it is, uh, and, and it is so great to see the industry as a fan and, and also as someone who, you know, as a, a stand up and, a, and, and a, an entertainer has, you know, had to struggle to, to succeed in my industry. I know how exceedingly hard it is to do that, you know, in industry without a union and support for that, to see it almost getting to a point where the wrestlers are in control of their own destiny because there's so many options mm-hmm. and getting to a place where it's better for the performers than the promoters. It is such a lovely thing to see and very <laughs> inspiring thing to see. And I hope it continues going in that direction where, um, cause honestly, like there's, there's no reason in this day and age that uh, wrestlers aren't supported by some sort of uh, group, you know, like stuntmen have a union circus performers have a union, like wrestlers should have support. They should have healthcare. They should have insurance. They Mm -hmm. should have, you know, job security. They should have these things uh, because it's, it's at this point, every, every other, profession has it you know yeah. well, i'm i'm hoping that andrew yang uh follows through on his promises to uh go to the u.s labor department and uh and spark uh spark some kind of investigation he said 
<laughs> he said if if Biden gets elected, uh, I don't know if I'll be in the Labor Department, but I'll certainly have their phone number. So I'm I'm hoping that in between uh, stump speeches for uh, for the the office of Mayor of New York, that he uh, he takes the time to make that call to the Labor Department, get things rolling. Yeah, no, that's it, it, it's it's overdue. <laughs> yeah, oh, long overdue, long overdue. Which is why when when people praise Hulk Hogan, my I have my first two thoughts are one uh racist two mm-hmm. two he personally prevented a union from forming in the wwf uh to protect his own spot i don't yep. i don't have i don't have the i don't have the hero worship for hulk hogan so uh, i i i wonder what what the wrestling world would look like now if in 1985 Jesse Ventura had succeeded in unionizing the WWF. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys would be alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the short, the short and the skinny answer. Yeah. A lot of guys would be, would uh, be in a better condition than they are. And a lot of guys would still be alive. Yeah. What is Okay. If that isn't it, then what is your most controversial wrestling opinion? Uh, David Arquette, good for business. <laughs> See, I'm not, I don't. I don't put up a fuss with that. I don't. Well, okay, hold on. I don't. Hmm, I don't put up a fuss with that. I don't put up a fuss with that now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think. I think 1999 Anthony still has still has a question or two. I think I think maybe the way that he was programmed in 1999 might be a problem still. But uh, David Arquette, David Arquette is I think David Arquette now is great for business. I, I think I think that's a hell of a redemption story. I, that, it, that's been nuts to watch. What a and what a fun documentary. Yeah. With uh, which is slathered in RJ City up and down. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites. I love RJ. <laughs> Definitely. He, he he called me out for cheap heel heat at a Destiny show. Oh. Uh, and I was wearing his shirt. He was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> he, he, I messaged him to let him know I was there. He came out with Demore and. Uh, I think Atlas to cut a promo. Uh, he was working a tag match against Billy Gunn and Psycho Mike mm. later on in the show, and uh, he called me out. He's like, "Well, we have ourselves a, a celebrity here, K. Trevor Wilson from TV's Letter Kenny's in the audience," and I, I gave him a wave. And he was like, "I haven't seen your show, but uh, I, I understand on it you play a drunken slob, so it must be a documentary series." <laughs> And I, you know, I was like, "What? What? How could you?" And then, like, the whole crowd's booing him. Everyone's, and my my lovely fiance Marisa turned to me and was like, "I thought he was your friend. Why is he being mean to you?" Because like, he's a bad guy, babe. That that's what he does. And then I, I told RJ, and uh, he he actually sent her a message and was apologized and explained uh, uh, what what he was doing and, and essentially uh, explained heel heat to her. And uh, it, 
it was really very sweet. She has a still has the message on her phone from RJ messaging her up to be like, I'm really sorry. This is why I did that. And <laughs> Aww. That's very sweet of him. I, I never get apology messages from him. I just get I just get ill timed we send each other ill timed uh um news articles or or uh youtube videos and it's all shit like if it's if it's pre-1970 and we think it's full uh it's funny we'll say it's like here's uh i think the last thing i sent him may have been mclean stevenson on the tonight show just so you get the <laughs> just yep. so you get the level of shit it's like if there's a sammy davis jr or uh a mel torme or a dean martin thing somewhere on the internet that we find and we think I bet you the other one would love this. That those are our text messages. Oh, speaking of which, on on uh, Amazon Prime they have the uh, Friars Club roast. Yes, yes, I, I I was watching them. Yes, I binged all of those. Uh, I'm I'm hoping to return to the world of roast battling. So I uh, I've been I've been getting my chops geared up. <laughs> I am actually the the reigning champion of roast battling. Oh. Uh, I don't know uh, uh, if everyone knows this. The um, the last uh, Just for Laughs, it, it didn't happen this year, but the year before, mm-hmm. uh, there was a uh, Jeff Ross International Roastmasters Tournament. Yes. Uh, at uh, at Just for Laughs, it's it's the non televised version of the Roast Battles Tournament, and uh, I beat Jimmy Carr in the finals to become the uh the the roasting champion so so kind of a blue jays situation where there's a uh, there's a labor stoppage right after and you yep. get to be you get to be champ for an extra year i get to get to be got to be champ for a whole extra year <laughs> <laughs> so when uh, when the next roast battle is announced i will expect a series of promos released from you just to just to taunt your potential opponents Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and at some point, for the love of God, at, at some point, I've got to get you back into the Transact Club for uh, for a union show. That's why. Oh, for sure. Why, it's 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 why I keep. But uh, listen, I I stopped asking. I didn't ask you about the March <laughs> show that ended up getting canceled because I thought this motherfucker is going to think that I just want him to come so I can put his name on a poster. No, I don't give. Oh fuck! You were so much fun with the boys at uh, at the fight shows, and I'm trying to recreate some of that. I w- I absolutely want to get you there in the crowd on the mic, whatever. I I, I want to look out into the crowd, and I, I want to look out, out out of the ring and see you at a at a wrestlers union show at some time. Oh, thanks, so. but I would love to be there. I uh, I have a blast at those shows. And actually, I was talking to uh, Sebastian just uh, yesterday. Yeah. Because uh, they let me jump in on commentary for one of the smash tapings one day. And that was like all-time uh, bucket list thing to call a wrestling match. And I got to sit in on commentary for a Tabernacle team versus Well-Oiled Machines match. Very and, uh, nice. I, I went full Jesse Ventura on them. I wrote <laughs> roast jokes for the wrestlers. I think I I... I I call this my Bobby Heenan moment in the middle of the announcing. I said, uh, Psycho Mike, uh, 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 good guy, good wrestler, not the smartest guy. Backstage, <laughs> I uh, 
Backstage, I gave him a Rubik's Cube to solve. You know what he did? He ate it. Not the smartest guy. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been in the crowd for any of the uh, uh, Psycho Mike's Conscience episodes? No, I think those started, uh, started like after I started getting insanely busy and oh. I, I miss the psycho mics but I've, I've heard about them and oh, <laughs> I've, I've got to get back out to indie shows once they're a thing again it is it is so good at one point basically the premise is psycho mike is in the ring wrestling and over the over the sound system the voice of psycho mike's inner voice starts speaking to him and he's responding to it and I remember uh, we did one at the London Music Hall where Psycho Mike's uh, conscience was it was turning on him. It was <laughs> it was mad at him and it was turning on him. And and it started to say it started to ask him, did you leave the stove on at home? I think you left the stove on. <laughs> And I am, the crowd is yelling no, and I'm at ringside, he's fighting suave, I'm at ringside screaming, yes, go check, don't let your house burn down, <laughs> trying to get, <laughs> as he, as he looks to and fro and starts to go back to the, to, to backstage, as we're trying to get the count out, and he slides back in, this is, uh, this is the same mat- match where, uh, uh, suave, uh, quote unquote, uh, broke, broke it or uh, no did he i'm trying to remember now did i think uh, psycho no psycho mike broke suave's neck and covered his face with a towel and uh and and uh suave rose from the dead to finish the match there is no there, there's no such thing like i mean he, at this point i he yep. must drive himself insane trying to come up with the next thing but there's no such thing as bad or unentertaining Psycho Mike. Always, always yeah. so good. He's such a top-notch performer. Yeah. And uh, I've enjoyed seeing the character grow from when I first saw it at the fight shows. You know, bald-headed, crazy heel Mike to uh, how he's morphed it into this sometimes charming yeah. uh, uh, face version of the character. And it's... Uh, it's been really fun. To, it's really fun to watch. I guess the, the beauty about indie wrestling is, is, is going and, and seeing these guys and, and uh, you know, from, from company to company, from uh, show to show, sometimes working slightly different variations, but like watching guys develop and watching these characters grow and uh, getting to see it. It's, it's, it's good theater. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I, I should not take up too much more of your time here. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I was actually, I, I got to head out to do some things. So okay. We kind of it up. Okay, Trevor Wilson, tell people on the interwebs where they can find you. Uh, I'm the only K. Trevor Wilson on the internet, so it's <laughs> easy to find me. Uh, Kate, at K. Trevor Wilson on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my website, ktrevorwilson.com. Uh, Comedy Records is my management, and they have comedyrecords.ca, which... Uh, when I have shows, it'll tell you where they are. And, uh, I've also got my new, uh, t-shirt store with below the collar, ah. uh, below the collar.com, uh, backslash K Trevor Wilson. Uh, and, and that's of course the same company that does pro wrestling tees. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go on there, get yourself a man mountain, a comedy t-shirt mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody. Hey, listen, it's, it's all about merch. 
All about the merch. It's all about the merch. <laughs> Katie Trevor Wilson, thank you, thank you, thank you profusely for coming on the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. This was a ton of fun. Thank you, sir. All right. There we go. There's a podcast, sir. Terrific. Thanks so much, bud. Thank you. This will be online uh, Monday morning, 6 a.m. Cool. Let me know, and I'll, uh, I'll blast it out uh, to my people, too. So Fantastic. They can all see it. Thanks, Trevor. All right. No problem. Thanks, Anthony. Have yourself a great day. You, too. And that's going to do it for another day, kids. Uh, thank you once again, K. Trevor Wilson, for coming on the show. If you want to find more of me, uh, of course, you can do so on all your social media at my name is kingdom that is twitter instagram youtube twitch and the all-important patreon today is the first of the month for the love is it the first or the second i think it's the first i don't know what are you asking me for why yeah it's the first (laughs) today would be a perfect time to go over to patreon.com slash my name is kingdom for as little as two two bucks a month you can help support me making these podcasts keeping the lights on at cassidy kingdom uh podcast videos comic strips uh all kinds of goodies a minimum of two posts per week uh including the friday exclusive episode of this podcast and uh yeah and, of course, I got a store at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Kingdom James. We've got the um, got the uh, Teespring. That's it. Teespring store. You need voiceovers done. Contact me through Fiverr, uh, F-I-V-E-R-R.com slash Kingdom James. All, go to the show notes. There's a link tree. All my links are there. Happy to oblige. So, uh, Thursday, we're back on Thursday. I don't know who the guest is on Thursday yet, but it'll be somebody good because we've had really good guests lately and I'm really happy. Go through the backlog at handsomegeniusclub.com. Uh, adult entertainer Andre Shakti, uh, Effin Birds creator Aaron Reynolds, uh, wrestlers like BMD and Rex Atkins. Uh, we've had WandaVision, uh, recaps with myself and uh, Jason Clark, the host of the An Elegant Weapon podcast. Uh, Oh, uh, we had Dave Bedini from the Rio Statics, publisher of Toronto's uh, West End Phoenix newspaper. We've had some really, really fantastic guests lately. So uh, go back and take a listen if you're new to the show. Uh, So in the meantime, kids, please take care of one another. Find some uh, find some good trouble to get into together. And uh, I'll talk to you again on Thursday. Your Uncle Kingdom loves you. <laughs>